Good morning, witches. This is the Witch Daily Show, coming to you from New Orleans, with host Tanya Brown. Our episodes span about 20 minutes long to give you just a little pop of magic. So, tune in, take a deep breath, and enjoy. Good morning. It is February 14th, 2024. It is Thursday. Nope, it is Wednesday. I am Tanya, and this is the Witch Daily Show. Today's episode is brought to you by Grimoire Society. So let's get your day going with a little magic. We are talking about jasmine, and we've already talked a little bit about its history, its magical properties. So today we're talking about its mythology or lore. So according to perfumesociety.org, jasmine and rose are two foundation stones of perfumery. Vast number of scents feature a type of jasmine somewhere in their construction. The smell of jasmine has enraptured and inspired human civilization through centuries. And here's a little poem. Every year, it seems, the jasmine creeps back into my life. Just when I begin to worry, nothing will smell sweet anymore. By Samantha Ray Lazar. So since ancient times, jasmine has been prized for its antidepressant, anti-inflammatory, relaxing, and even aphrodisiac uh, qualities. The scent is certainly potent, and its jasmine gives a richness and intensity to fragrances, a sweet floral note, but with a dead sexy muskiness to it if you smell different concentrated absolutes they have their own character characteristics so jasmine has been referred to as the queen of flowers and the king of flowers depending on the culture it's synonymous with love romance weddings passion seduction and beauty it is known to a lot of perfumers simply as La fleur, or as the flower. Such is jasmine's importance. Even though jasmine may not be listed in the pyramid of ingredients, chances are there's a touch of it in there somewhere. The name itself is Persian, which means a gift from God. In Persia, ancient Greece, and Egypt, jasmine's healing powers were already recognized. Aromatherapists still use it for improving digestion, weight loss, accelerating the metabolism, and for its aphrodisiac effects. And there are actually over 200 species of jasmine. The two members of the beautiful white-flowered family are prized above others. Jasmine originated in China and India, and it's a member of the olive family. So there's a lot of poems about jasmine as well which i absolutely love i think that's so sweet moving into some headlines this comes to us from newsweek.com archaeologists pagan temple find challenges history of roman christianity a team of archaeologists has uncovered the ruins of an ancient pagan temple from the roman period in italy the temple was found during excavations in the ancient hilltop town of spello which is located more than 70 miles north of Rome. 
The structure is thought to date to the 4th century during the reign of Emperor Constantine, who ruled Rome during 306 AD and 337 AD. Constantine was the first Roman Empire to convert to Christianity, or emperor. The researchers say that the latest findings announced at the annual meeting of the Archaeological Institute of America shed new light on the transition from the worship of pagan gods to Christianity within the Roman Empire. During excavations, the researchers uncovered three walls of a monument structure that evidence suggests belong to a Roman temple. Douglas Boyne, a researcher at St. Louis University, who led the excavations at Spello, told Newsweek the temple was a remarkable historical discovery. It shows the continuities between the classical pagan world and early Christian Roman world that often got blurred or written out of the sweeping historical narratives. Boyne and his team uncovered the temple during excavations this summer. The researchers had decided to study the area based on a 4th century inscription attributed to Emperor Constantine. The ancient inscription was found at Spello in the early 1700s and is now on display in the town hall, indicated that the temple's uh, construction was an enormous undertaking. In the inscription addressed the townspeople of the settlements, which became a Roman colony in the first century BC, the emperor said they would be allowed to celebrate a religious festival in their hometown rather than travel a great distance to another festival. But in order to do so, the emperor said the town must erect a temple to Constantine's divine ancestors, the Flavian family, and worship them. This practice formed part of the Roman imperial cult in which emperors and some family members were worshipped as divine entities. Quote, there is no separation between religion and state in the Roman world, and Romans' proud sense of patriotism informed all of their public activities, including their worship. In an empire where people spoke multiple languages, lived across three continents, and held on to their own local traditions, the imperial cult brought people together around common ideals. The temple would have been used by the pagan residents of Spello during Constantine's time, Boyne said. It was likely erected in the A.D. 33, uh, 330s and dedicated to the cult of the Flavian family to honor the emperor's ancestral line. Scholars have long suspected the temple's existence, but archaeologists had never identified its precise location. It would have remained in use as a site of worship and religious activities for at least the next two generations until Christians outlawed all pagan religion. The temple is evidence of remarkable religious continuity between the Roman world and the early Christian world. It means things did not change overnight. Boyd says, before our find, we never had a sense that there was actual physical religious sites associated with this late imperial cult practice. That's really fascinating. So. Basically, I think we sometimes look at, I know I do, we we look at history as being like, well, one day it just changed into this. But this site that they found shows that that's not how it was when we moved from pagan society to Christian society. It was a slow process. Like Constantine was like, hey, here's your temple, worship, shout out. You know what I mean? Even though he's known as like the first Christian emperor. So there was like this gray period for a long time where it was like slowly transitioning from pagan to Christian. Fascinating. All right, witches, I'm going to throw this over to our moon correspondent. And after this break, we will talk more. 
Hello to all of my astro friends. This is Serendipity, the Chicago astrologer, coming at you with your daily moon mantra for Wednesday, February 14th. The waxing crescent moon moves from the tinder of Aries to the measured pace of Taurus today. Here, the moon conjuncts Jupiter and squares the Mars-Pluto conjunction. Mars is meeting Pluto for the first time since Pluto has moved into Aquarius. Mars and Pluto together take action on the things that Pluto is digging up. In Aquarius, Pluto is digging into the roots of the subculture, the things that lie beneath our societies and make them run. As Mars meets Pluto in this space, we're getting ready to make a move on the things we've been learning about. How do we take action in ways that can rebuild society in a better, more humanistic way? How can we root out the rot that lives beneath so that we can flourish as a unit rather than destroy ourselves as individuals? These are the big questions that Mars-Pluto conjunction in Aquarius is asking us. Think about it as the transit unfolds. You don't have to do anything just yet. We're just at the beginning stages of this era, but we are finally getting a real taste of the territory. Your daily moon mantra is, change is inevitable, growth is optional. This has been your daily moon mantra with Serendipity, the Chicago astrologer, signing off and reminding you, that you are in charge of your own destiny. Power of love is alive. Diverse in practice and style, 100 Love Spells is a compendium of love magic brought to you from various witches and authors of Witchway Magazine. Packed with practical magic for the novice and expert alike, this book offers a bit of insight for all the world's love witches. With these easy-to-master spellcasting tips and tricks, you'll learn how to attract love with spells for confidence, glamour, and passion, awaken lust and celebrate your sensuality, understand the ethics of love magic and free will, and much more. Whether you're looking for new love, strengthening an existing one, or healing yourself in the process, 100 Love Spells is for those looking to enhance their lives with the potent and powerful magic of love. Available for order online at your local bookshop or wherever books are sold. All right, we are back. So we are talking about Valentine's Day. Uh, So what am I doing for Valentine's Day? Nothing. Got some chocolate for, for my mom. And I had a friend who we were going to go to dinner and then we realized it was Valentine's Day and then we realized a reservation would be impossible. So I'm doing nothing. But I love holidays and I love a theme. So I did buy chocolate for everybody. Let's come on. So Valentine's Day. Uh, One thing, if anyone watches the Watcher channel on YouTube with Shane and Ryan, aka the Ghoul Boys. Shane said something once that really stuck with me as someone who reads a lot of headlines, like the one we just read. Um, who we 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 talk a lot about saints and deities and um all these things. And Shane said something that again struck a chord with me, and he said, a lot of the time the line between History and lore is fuzzy. And that is so true. And I think we see that with a lot of cultures, gods, goddesses, saints, things like that. Uh, Morgan Daimler, who we had on the show to talk about Fae, if you're really into the Fae and Fae culture and like the Morgan and Bridget and things like that, 
I highly recommend following Morgan. She sets a lot of stuff straight, right? So, again, it just gets fuzzy. It gets real, real fuzzy. And it's no less fuzzy when it comes to Valentine's Day. Oh, gosh. I have read, I feel like, a million articles about its origins and all these things. And I'm going to be honest, I'm never quite sure each time, right? So this is from theconversation.com, written by Lisa Battelle, a professor of history and religion at USC, Dom Site College of Letters, Arts, and Sciences. So I kind of hope this sets things straight, but we're going to talk about St. Valentine. Do we have it all wrong? Did we ever have it right? Who can say? I don't know. Okay, so it says, on February 14th, sweethearts of all ages will exchange flowers, cards, candy, and more lavish gifts in the name of St. Valentine. But as a historian of Christianity, I can tell you that at the root of our modern holiday is a beautiful fiction. St. Valentine was no lover or patron of love. Valentine's Day, in fact, originated as a feast to celebrate the decapitation of a 3rd century Christian martyr, perhaps two. So how did we get from beheading to betrothing on Valentine's Day? Ancient sources reveal that there were several St. Valentines who died on February 14th. Two of them were executed during the reign of Roman Emperor Claudius Gothicus uh, at a time when the persecutions of Christians was common. So they were called Balantists after Jean Balland, a Jesuit scholar who began publishing uh, the lives of saints in 1643. Since then, successive generations of monks continued the work until the last volume was published in 1940. The brothers dug up every scrap of information about every saint on the calendar and printed texts arranged according to the saints' feast days. So, St. Valentine. The volume encompassing February 14th contains stories of a handful of Valentines, including the earliest three of whom died in the 3rd century. The earliest Valentinus is said to have died in Africa along with 24 soldiers. Unfortunately, even the Bolandists could not find any more information about him. As the monks knew, sometimes all that the saints left behind was a name and a day of death. We know only a little more about the other two Valentines. According to a late medieval legend reprinted in the Acta, which was accompanied by Bolandus' critique about its a historical value, a Roman priest named Valentinus was arrested during the reign of Emperor Gothicus and put into the custody of an aristocrat named Asterius. As the story goes, Asterius, the guy who had like custody of Valentinus, made the mistake of letting the preacher talk. Father Valentinus went on and on about Christian leading pagans out of the shadow of darkness and into the light of truth and salvation. And Asterius made a bargain with Valentinus. If the Christian could cure his foster daughter of blindness, he would convert to Christianity. So apparently he did. The child could see according to medieval legends. Asterius and his whole family were baptized. Unfortunately, when Emperor Gothicus heard the news, he ordered them all to be executed. But Valentinus was the only one to be beheaded. Right? So, St. Valentine was not a romantic. 
The third, third century, Valentinus, was a bishop of Terni in the province of Umbria, Italy. According to his equally dodgy legend, Terni's bishop got into a situation like the other Valentinus by debating a potential convert and afterward healing his son. The rest of the story is pretty similar. He, too, was beheaded on orders of um, uh, Emperor Gothicus. You know, it is likely that they were act- there weren't actually two decapitated Valentines, but that just it's two different stories of the same saint, which, again, when we talk about historical fact and lore being blurry, this is what we're talking about. We don't even know if this is one decapitation or two, you know? So, indeed, medieval legends repeated in modern media had St. Valentine performing Christian marriage rituals or passing notes between Christian lovers jailed by Gothicus. Still, other stories romantically involved him with the blind girl whom he allegedly healed. Yet, none of these tales had any basis in 3rd century history. In any case, historical veracity did not count much with medieval Christians. What they cared for were the stories of miracles and martyrdoms and the physical remains or relics of the saint. So they didn't actually care if it was true or not or if it made sense or not. They just needed this story that goes, hey, they hated this guy, but then he proved he was a miracle worker and bam, now everyone's Christian. They were just more into those stories, which sounds very familiar right? You can hear this and go, oh, I know Christians like that. Like, these traits of Christianity are alive and well. It's not about fact or fiction. They don't care if it's true. They don't care if it makes sense, as long as it sounds good and makes it look like they're these powerful miracle workers. So, to be sure, many different churches and monasteries around medieval Europe claim to have bits of St. Valentinus's skull in their treasuries. St. Maria, uh, for example, still displays a whole skull, which is confusing, because apparently there is an entire list of churches who claim to have his skull. So, for believers, relics of the martyrs signified the saint's saint's presence, right? So, like, having pieces of this saint is, like, a big deal. You'll hear the same thing when we talk about, like, St. Nicholas. Uh, A lot of places claim to have parts of St. Nicholas's body. So, many scholars have deconstructed Valentine and his day in books, articles, and blog postings. Some suggest that the modern holiday is a Christian cover-up of the more ancient celebration of Lupercalia in mid-February. Lupercalia originated as a ritual in a rural masculine cult involving the sacrifice of goats and dogs and evolved later into an urban carnival. During the festivities, half-naked young men ran through the streets of Rome, streaking people with thongs cut from the skin of newly killed goats. Pregnant women thought it brought them healthy babies. And in 496 AD, Pope Uh, Jealousis supposedly denounced the Rowdy Festival. He was like, stop running around with your parts swinging around. So still, there's no evidence that the Pope replaced Lupercalia with St. Valentine's Day. But yeah. So where did the love connection come from? Like, how do we, like, legit, how did we get from um, this man's skull is all over the place to Candy Hearts? Books. 
Let me tell you. We talk about this during uh, Friday 13th. Books are just like how movies really affect our society and our culture. Back then it was books. Books just like set the tone for what people believed in. So Chaucer, the love connection probably appeared more than a thousand years after the martyr's death when Geoffrey uh, Chaucer, the author of the Canterbury Tales, decreed that February, the Feast of St. Valentus to the mating of birds. Yes. He wrote in Parliament of Fowls, for this was on St. Valentine's Day when your bird cometh thee to chest his mate. It seems that in Chaucer's day, English birds paired off to produce eggs in February, and soon nature-minded European nobility began sending love notes during bird mating season. So, for example, the French Duke of Orleans, who spent some years as a prisoner in the Tower of London, wrote to his wife on February 14th that he was already sick of love, which he meant sick, and he called her his very gentle valentine. So English audiences embraced the idea of February mating. Shakespeare's love-struck Ophelia spoke of it herself. And the following centuries, here we go. February 14th became a day to pen verses to their objects of love. And that's it. According, that's, apparently that's how we got there. Which, oof. Oof. So I don't know. How do you celebrate Valentine's Day? I, for one, would love the idea of celebrating, I don't know, no part of this story stri stri like strikes a very particular chord with me. So I'm cool just living my life. You know? I'm fine with it. All right, witches. We are wrapping up this episode of the Witch Daily Show. I want to give a shout out to, um, no shout outs, no shout outs today. Sorry, sorry. And we have no housekeeping today. So we're going to wrap it up. Any books, decks, headlines, sources, anything we reference can be found in the podcast episode description or witchpod.com. And we will talk again tomorrow. Bye. Witches. We hope you have a wonderful day full of joy and gentleness and confidence. Links for this week's episodes, our website, Patreon, along with a free daily card pull can be found at witchpod.com. One stop for everything we talk about. Now, take one more deep breath and have a great day. <laughs>